Welcome to Verse by Verse, the teaching ministry of Pastor John Reed from Calvary Chapel, Northwest Reno. You'll want to grab your Bible and follow along, verse by verse, with Pastor John. We are completing the book of James. We're in chapter 5, starting at verse 1. We've made it through. What a powerful, practical book. Live the Christian life. James is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. And he does want us to live the Christian life, to change the way you're living from the world to the way of Jesus, to follow the Word of God, to repent, to obey, to wait, to endure, to pray. Uh, the Bible is a very practical book of how to live not the world's way, but how to live God's way, because there is a better way. There is a higher way. Uh, there is the way of Jesus. If you followed the life of Christ, it is love, peace, forgiveness, grace, mercy. It's completely different from the world. James went through a change, a metamorphosis, if you will. He was the half-brother of Jesus. He did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He was a doubter. He, along with his siblings, wanted to pull Jesus away. They kind of thought he was crazy. But later, James is converted when Jesus dies on the cross, rises from the dead, and appears to him alive. And James becomes a powerful believer. He becomes a Christian, and he really lives the Christian life. He becomes a powerful leader in the flagship, if you will, the Jerusalem church, and he joins that council of leaders, and he's a powerful pillar of the church, so much so that when he writes his book here, he just says, it's me, James, and everybody knows, you're the powerful James, changed by your brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. And just like James changed, you can change. And you can truly live the practical, real, genuine Christian life. And that's what James's little book is about, how to do it, how to live it, how to be what he calls a doer of the word. He says you can't just be a hearer. you got to be a doer. You have to practice it. Let's jump in. James chapter 5, verse 1. Warn the worldly rich. Those that have been caught up into materialism, and they're living a very sinful, sensual, decadent life. This is kind of, he's addressing the lost and those that are not Christians, those that are not living the Christian life. Verse 1, come now you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Coming judgment. We will be held accountable for how we've lived and used our resources and our money. And James warns the lost about their decadence and their wicked living with their money. Uh, what did Jesus say? It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get saved. Remember his story of the rich man and the poor man, Lazarus. And Lazarus was a beggar, but a believer. And the rich man had it all. And he ends up in the flames of hell, if you remember the story. Verse 2, your riches 
have rotted, and your garments have become moth-eaten. We bank on the almighty dollar, right? We trust in riches. And Jesus told us not to do that, not to trust in riches, not to worship the God of money, mammon, uh, not to be caught up in the material life, but to store up our treasures in heaven, right, where they will not be moth-eaten and rusted and corroded, uh, and the rich will wake up someday and realize that their riches didn't save them. Their garments, the ancients, uh, their clothing was very expensive, and usually you only owned uh, a couple sets of clothes because the colors, the dyes, the materials, the the sewing of making clothes, clothes were very expensive. And sometimes we get caught up right into clothing and the brand names and wearing the best. And James is kind of shaking us up. Materialism is not where it's at. Verse 3, your gold and your silver have rusted. They've corroded, if you will. And their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. I was thinking of Dante's Inferno and his interpretation of hell with its circles. And circle number four was a plane or a, an area for the greedy, those that had lived a life of riches and greed and materialism. And in his Inferno, the greedy souls, they're consumed in a pit of smeltering gold. It's like lava gold that burns them forever and ever. He's warning about the fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Now, normally when we start out, uh, we don't have a lot of money. But then you get a job, a career, training, education, degrees, and you store it up, right? Your retirement, your savings, your investing, your homes, your holdings. And it is at the end of your life, do you see, in the last days of your life that you tend to have a lot. But are you trusting in the riches? What are you doing with it? You know, God's convicted me as I'm getting older. My investments have come in. I've saved up. And, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do with it? Am I investing it in the kingdom? Am I feeding the poor? Am I doing things for the Lord? Am I helping the work of Christ? Because, you know, when you die, you can't take it with you. I think Americans have a consumer mentality. I want it, I want to see it, I want to eat it, I want to wear it, I want to smell it, you know. Uh, I must confess I do like going to the mall and I play with the colognes and sit in that chair, you know, that uh, kind of gives you the free massage and I play with all the stuff. I usually don't buy anything, I'm the worst customer. I play with all the stuff and they're like, get out, you know. <laughs> but we can get so caught up, right? Shop till you drop and caught up in the things of this world and the consumer mentality can consume you in the end if you don't repent i was thinking of people that like to gather their stuff have you ever watched that tv program hoarders 
and they gather their stuff, and it's like piles, and they have little pathways through their room, and, and their rooms are all stuffed with things. Sometimes they're brand new. They didn't even take them out of the packages, and they, they clog up their garage and their storage units. We had a church member who was a hoarder, and she said, Pastor John, please take me to my four storage units. She didn't have a car, and we opened, you know, all the doors, and she's like, look, all my memories, all my stuff. And I'm like, this is like so much stuff. What are you going to do with it? Oh, I'm going to give it to you in the church. Oh, no, we don't want it. <laughs> you know, you'll have to figure out what you're going to do with it when you die, because it's just too much, the stuff, the hoarders. And some people become buried alive from the junk and the things has that been you? I've counseled hoarders, and I've found that sometimes they fill their life with stuff because inside they're so broken and empty and lonely. And they feel that all the stuff will fill their lives and make their life full, but it's a deception of the enemy. Verse 4, Behold the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields, and which has been withheld by you, cries out against you. You've been jipping people. You're the big shot. You're the CEO. You're the boss. You have all those people that work for you. And you might think, well, nobody works for me. Uh, that kid who mows your lawn, that lady who cuts your hair, the hairdresser, uh, the bank teller, that waitress that you just won't tip and she knocks herself out, uh, that nanny and that babysitter and all these different people that serve us. Sometimes we're mean to them. Sometimes we don't pay them their due and we jip them. And God's saying to the rich, don't be doing this. Don't be using your power, your riches, your fame and taking advantage of the poor. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Their paycheck is screaming, you gypped me. <laughs> you know, we see this sometimes. The rich have the way of gypping their employees and taking advantage and overcharging. And God says, don't be doing this. I want justice and fairness and I'll get you. And so it is a warning to the wicked rich that think they're getting away with it. You know, I was thinking the history of the United States, we're very rich and wealthy. One of our richest cities was Detroit, Michigan. The highest paying jobs from the auto industry, which pretty much collapsed there. And now the richest city in the United States is Washington, D.C., and I think of the politicians, and, you know, they enter politics poor, and they leave like millionaires. And they think they're getting away with it, and they think they're cheating people, and they're oppressing their own citizens. But God is watching, and there will be a day of reckoning. I was thinking of the famous book, The Grapes of Wrath, John Steinbeck. And it was the story of the Great Depression, and the Dust Bowl, where the farms dried up in several states, but they focused on Oklahoma, the Okies. And these tenant farmers abandoned their farms, 
and they came west to California in hopes of finding jobs. And the rich landowners, the farmers, they paid them dirt and they took advantage of their desperate situation. And these tenant farmers who came, the Okies that came to California, they became the pickers, and the farmers would pay them dirt wages to where they're barely making it, they're starving, they could not survive. And that's an example of the rich taking advantage of the poor, the grapes of wrath. Verse 5. You lived luxuriously on the earth, and you led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. I think it's a sin to live extravagantly as a Christian. Uh, there's times I've had wonderful meals, and God convicted me. Give part of your meal to this homeless person, you know. I remember eating with the missionaries in China, and I saw the children digging out of the garbage, and I had to give up my food and give it to them. I, I just couldn't do it. And I think this is the Christian life, self-sacrifice, to be concerned about the poor, and we shouldn't be living like, you know, we're royalty. We should be following Christ, right? I don't see Jesus in an ivory tower and gluttony and extravagance. What did he, he said, I don't have a bed to lay in. Uh, they didn't have any money, and yet he did the most powerful things with his miracles, his teachings, his signs, his wonders, and God promoted him without all the materialisms of this world. God is fattening up the rich for a day of slaughter. It's like the farmer would fatten up the pig. Come on, pig, eat more. Or fatten up the turkey, right? Because Thanksgiving's coming, and we're going to have barbecue pork, right? You fatten up the hog before you slaughter him. And God is saying to these wicked rich, oh, you're fattening up, but can I tell you, the day of reckoning is coming, a day of slaughter you will pay the price. There is a God of justice. Verse 6, You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. The Christians can be meek and mild. They can be gracious and hardworking employees. And sometimes we get those bosses, right? Uh, the the people in charge, and they take advantage, and they jip your pay. They cut your wages. Um, but God's not going to allow it to just go. What was it? The uh, children of Israel, they were made into human slaves in Egypt, Africa. The blacks enslaved the Jews. And the Jews cried, and they prayed, and they screamed to God as they were being whipped and put into forced labor, and God heard their prayers, and God delivers them through Moses, if you know the story. I was thinking of the movie The Help. You gotta see it. And The Help is back in the days of segregation in the south of Mississippi. And the rich, you know, plantation owners and the rich 
white families would hire the blacks as their workers. Mow my lawn, be nanny to my kid, be my maid, be my cook. And you see in the movie The Help uh, that it wasn't fair. And they were cruel and they wouldn't pay them right and they did them wrong. The Help, in some ways The Help would get, get back, you know, don't eat the chocolate pie. Um, and the, the bad thing, you know, is the boss would fire you and go to all the other white bosses and say, don't, don't hire them. And you'd be blackballed and you'd be at their mercy. The help. You've got to see it. Pay your bills. Do right to the babysitter, the newspaper boy, your shop mechanic, your gardener, your hairdresser, your housekeeper, you know, that person who's helped you, give them a tip. <laughs> Treat them right. Be a good example as a Christian. Don't copy the ways of the world. Wait for Jesus. He's coming. He's promised. It is the rapture of the church. And we wait with patience and perseverance. Verse 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, until the coming of the Lord. Jesus is coming. He's coming again. It is the rapture of the church. He promises to gather all the Christians in the clouds and to take us away before this world blows up. Right? The Christians go up, and then the wrath of the Lamb comes down. It is before the great tribulation. So he says, be patient. Jesus is coming soon. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it. Right? You ever do that as little kids where you plant the little seeds, you know, and you're getting excited, but you can't be impatient and say, I don't think it's growing. I'm going to dig it up and see if it has any roots. The seedling hasn't broken the surface. Don't do that. You're going to kill it. Just let it be. Be patient. Water it. Give it the sunshine, right? The farmer knows. He's been through this countless seasons. He knows how it works. I put in the seed. It's germinating. The heat, the sun, the water, right? Until it gets the early and late rains, the latter rain. Be patient. Jesus is coming just at the right time. God has the perfect schedule. He's not late. He's not forgotten us. Verse 8, you to be patient. Strengthen your hearts. Be encouraged because Jesus is coming for you. For the coming of the Lord is near. It is soon and very soon we're going to see the king. I probably know 200 pastors, and some are, they're ready to go. Pastor John, Jesus needs to come today. Yeah, I kind of want him to delay a little. Don't say that. I don't want him to delay. But I, do, I still feel like I need to live for him and accomplish some things and witness to some more friends and bring more people with me to heaven. No, he needs to come today. We're ready to go. <laughs> so be patient. His perfect timing. Verse 9, 
Do not complain, brethren, the Christians, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. You're not the judge. You're not the judge of me, right? Don't judge me. That's what everybody screams. Don't judge me. What did Jesus say? Let he who's without sin cast the first stone. Yes, it's true. Jesus is the judge. That's not my place. Put it in God's hands. Jesus Christ will be the judge because the Father has put all judgment on the Son so that they will respect him on judgment day when they see him judging them. And the judge is coming. Here comes the judge. All rise in honor of the judge. You ever do that in courtroom? Right? You better stand up. The bailiff says the judge is coming in. His robe, his lofty seat sits behind his big desk with the gavel. Here comes the judge. Here comes the final judge, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's right at the door, the doorway between heaven and earth. He's about to come. He's so close. He's standing. He's waiting for the Father's perfect timing. It is so close. The apostles said they were in the last days. I believe we're in the last seconds. Jesus is so close. Verse 10. As an example, brethren, the Christians, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We must wait we must endure. We must be patient. Sometimes we got to suffer. Suffer as a believer for Christ. They put us down because we take the name Christian, which represents Christ. But it will be worth it. And our example is the great prophets, right? And all that they went through. Some of the prophets were stoned and beaten and even killed. I look at the Old Testament, all the great prophets. One of my favorites is Daniel. And of course, Daniel prayed to the true God and he wouldn't obey the new law. And so he gets thrown into the lion's den because he violates the new law. You can only pray, you know, to the king. But he prays to God. And God sends his angel, remember, and shuts the mouths of the lions. And the king opens, you know, the huge stone. Daniel, has your God been able to save you? You know, oh, king, yes. He, God sent his angel, and, he, and the angels protected me and shut the mouths of the lions because I have been innocent. You know, what I did was right to pray to the true God. And Daniel suffered some persecution and attacks, and he had endurance and patience and long-suffering and that stamina. Don't quit yet. Jesus is so close to getting you. Verse 11, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Do you know the story of Job? Many Christians tell me, oh, well, I'm going through everything. I'm just like Job. 
I've lost all my stuff. I lost my house. I lost my money, my investments. I lost family members like Job. I've lost my health. Remember Job? Satan comes and wipes out all his uh, riches. He's so rich and powerful. Christians can be righteously rich like Job, richest man probably on the earth in his day. And then Satan wipes out all his assets, all his cattle, his investments. Satan wipes out all his children. I can't remember, was it 10 children? And then Satan comes back and takes away his health and covers him with sore boils, 24-hour pain. And then to add insult to injury and to kick him while he's down, Satan sends his wife and his best friends. <laughs> and they're like, you should just give up. You should just quit. It's your fault. You must be this horrible sinner. Thanks for supporting Verse by Verse, the teaching ministry of Pastor John Reed from Calvary Chapel, Northwest Reno at 246 Courtney Lane, Reno, Nevada, 89523. Our phone number is 775-746-4567 and our webpage is calvaryreno.com. You're always welcome to join our services.